Welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. This is our second episode from MIPCOM 2023 in Cannes this week. Coming up, Nadav Palti, Chief Executive and President of Dory Media Group and a former Israel Defence Forces commander on how he made it to Cannes despite events back home and his determination to continue doing business even though family and friends are caught up in the war and production in the country is on hiatus. Abacus Media Riot's Head of Acquisitions, Will Stapley, on the perfect storm he sees facing producers and distributors, and BBC Studios and UK TV Head of Acquisitions, Melanie Romani, on the kinds of shows she's looking for. But first, Channel 21 International Editor Nico Franks, C21 North American Editor Jordan Pinto, Kids Editor Carolina Kaminska, Senior Reporter Neil Beatty, and C. Vantiuno Editor Pina Mazera chewed over the main talking points at this year's MIPCOM, from the rebirth of distribution to a dearth of commissions for original ideas, AI, and a survived the 2025 mentality among producers. MIPCOM 2023 wrapped in Cannes yesterday. With over 11,000 delegates from 100 countries attending the 39th edition of the international co-production and entertainment content market, according to organiser RX France. While there was plenty of discussion about the US studios returning to the licensing business in a major way, with Paramount Global President and Chief Executive Bob Backish and Warner Brothers Discovery International President Gerhard Zeiler among those delivering that message. Around 70 Israelis who were due to attend cancelled, however, as a result of the ongoing war with Hamas back home. Channel 21 International Editor Nico Franks, C21 North American Editor Jordan Pinto, Kids Editor Carolina Kaminska, Senior Reporter Neil Beatty and C. Vanteuno Editor Pina Mazera spoke with me about the main talking points at this year's MIPCOM. From the rebirth of distribution to a dearth of commissions for original ideas, AI and a survive to 2025 mentality among producers. Welcome everybody, it's the final day of MIPCOM 2023 and what a week it's been. Um, joined by Jordan, Nico, Carolina, Pina and Neil, the C21 team here to discuss uh, all of the hot topics that have been under discussion this week and um, you know the big stories that we've been covering on C21. So if you tuned in last week, in our preview episode, you would have heard that there was a lot of excitement about the way in which the distribution landscape was opening up again with some of the US studios returning to the licensing business for a, a period of time, having been withholding rights to their shows for their own streaming services. Um, plenty of change going on in the marketplace. Optimism among some, not so much among others as well. It's, it's challenging times for all companies economically and uh, lots of things going on in the world obviously having an impact. So, um, Jordan, what's your initial assessment of this week? Um, to be honest, it was less grim or gloomy than I thought it was going to be. Like, I think because I'm being based in Toronto um, and kind of covering the North American market pretty closely, um, you know, for the last 18 months, all the news has seemed to be pretty bad between, you know, between the layoffs, um, the kind of billions lost on streaming, um, just the, the broader cuts, um, you know, de whole development slates kind of wiped out. So um, here in Cannes, I don't know. I don't know whether it's felt a bit kind of insulated from, from some of the stresses of the business, partly because there's this shift back to third party licensing. And so I was, you know, I think I felt it was slightly more optimistic. And I've seen headlines that have kind of said, 
things to the contrary, but I was I was kind of expecting real doom and gloom, and people seem to be slightly more optimistic about the evolution of the distribution business. So, you know, with the, all the new things we know about, like fast. Um, so I'm yeah, I've I've kind of not I've been surprised. You covered the Bob Backish keynote. He was obviously named MIPCOM Personality of the Year. Uh, he talked a little bit about licensing and the fact that Paramount's been doing that for, for some time. He also talked about the fact that uh, Paramount was undervalued, he felt, and that you know, there are brighter times ahead for that company and for the market generally. Yes, I think like, Paramount is one of the companies that, even when they launched Paramount Plus, they said they, w they were still kind of very much in the licensing, in licensing game. I think that was kind of true to a degree, but I think they're they're fully you know going back into um, like a full scale third party licensing um, uh, kind of situation. Um, whereas the likes of Disney and and Warner Brothers, who had had been really withholding um, rights, are now also kind of ramp, ramping that up again. Um, yeah, Bob was talking about a few different things. Um, obviously, the strikes are still happening in the U.S., so there's there's a lot of pressure. On um, on them to get a to, to get a deal done. I think one one thing I've heard from people is that even though the the actors and the studios aren't talking at the moment, like that they expect that there to be a deal and the strike to end within the next month or so. Because like, someone told me that some of the major studios and streamers have like locations booked um, for shooting in January, and so you know they'll the plan would be to kind of ramp up in November and December, and then um, you know f full production begins in January. Uh, and so I think the studios can kind of probably get a deal done whenever they want to. Um, so, yeah, I think full-scale production resumes in January. And your sense, as you say, was that perhaps the European market's been a little bit insulated from the impacts of the strikes, but um, I've been speaking to, to, to plenty of people who have said that there has been a knock-on effect. You know, what, what have you kind of um, heard on the ground here? Um, yeah, so I, I think it's insulated in a certain sense, maybe in a distribution sense, because everyone's kind of moving back to third-party licensing, but I think in a commissioning sense, I think there's definitely fewer, um, definitely fewer original commissions, and that is, um, a, yeah, I'd say there's more than just a knock-on effect. Um, Cannes always feels, <laughs> I think maybe being in Cannes, you just kind of feel a bit insulated from everything. Like, I, I don't know whether anyone else has felt this, but like some of the stuff that you see on social media and the news with like the war and everything, and it's, it, you feel like a billion miles away from anything uh, to do with the outside world. Um, so that might just be a can thing as well. Nico, what about you? Optimistic? What's your view of the, the week here at MIPCOM 23? Yes, so I'm glad Jordan gave some optimism, optimism because I think I'm about to be thoroughly depressing uh, just given the kind of conversations I've been having. Um, so yeah, in the short term, I've just been hearing a lot that buy, many buyers just aren't buying at the moment. and. It look, feels like many are waiting for the next financial year um, in terms of to kind of um, see what the, the scene is given kind of all the geopolitical things going on. And I've heard some saying that they're staying put till 2025 to, uh, to kind of start buying new shows. So yeah, very much feels like the bubble has truly burst and um, nowhere near as much definitely high-end scripted drama is going to get made and the stuff that does get made will be fewer episodes and uh, lower budgets. And the thing that I kept hearing is people talking about uh, things like um, kind of debt no longer being cheap and interest rates being really, really high. And that's just created this kind of perfect storm for um, the people that were kind of backing this huge boom that we've seen over the past few years in TV, um, basically kind of um, retreating 
and we're seeing the tension between the two different periods, kind of the previous period, um, deals done in the boom period that are now way out of sync with where we are now in terms of those high interest rates and expensive debt and expensive crews and expensive everything, basically. So I've been hearing um, about distributors renegotiating contracts kind of at the last minute, some potentially pulling out of shows, budgets just being reevaluated everywhere. Um, so yeah, I kind of feel like in the in the lo looking longer term, TV and a lot of the companies here are going to have to get to grips with soft money from maybe some places, some uncomfortable places, really. Um, you know, where they're going to have to mor think morally, you know, whether or not they can take money. We there were speakers from Saudi Arabia, various banks earlier um, or in the week on Wednesday. So it feels like there's just a lot of the the markets like the US, the UK, the Nordics are really, really struggling for cash. Whereas if you look to the Middle East, other countries, they're pretty flush. So, um, and I'm no expert, but it feels like in the same way the world of football um, has really been kind of revolutionized by all the money from the Middle East. And some fans have embraced that, some club owners have embraced that. Um, but maybe a similar thing might happen with the TV industry in the next few years. Very interesting. Yeah, I had conversations with, with a few people here. One was the uh, uh, head of acquisitions at a distribution company, and he was talking about a conversation that he had had with a producer saying that this was actually the worst time that they had seen, you know, for, for 25 years in the industry. Uh, another exec that I was talking to today was quoting from someone else that he had spoken to saying that the new phrase is apparently survive until 25 so uh, whereas he thought it was 24 before but uh, it's now yeah it's now 25. And yet we're as we record this we're looking out at a sea of yachts so there is money out there um, but it just feels and it yeah that the old ways of uh, funding are, are, are just rapidly feeling outdated um, but also the fact that it's so cheap to make content or a certain kind of content now, you know, it's never been um, easier for content creators, you know, using their mobile phones to create content that people will watch, be it at home or, you know, on their commute. Um, and I was hearing a lot about how AI is going to democratize um, content creation in ways, you know, we, we haven't seen before. So if we thought YouTube, you know, was, was the revolution, then it feels like AI is going to add a whole extra layer to that. And I think that's something that people in TV need to be aware of. That, that brings us very neatly on to, uh, to, to MIP Junior, one of the, the main talking points, I believe, over the weekend. Uh, Nico, Carolina, you were covering that event, was you know, the fact that, that I guess the kids, the biggest entertainment platform for, for children these days is YouTube, and yet YouTube no longer puts any money into uh, original content. So what was the, the discussion there like? Yeah, that was kind of borne out from uh, an interview I did with Gregory Dre, who is a former YouTube exec, uh, now a CEO and co-founder of a company called Animage, which is really looking to be a kind of um, modern children's producer in the way that it uh, has very low um, overheads and it's digital first, and but it's it's acquiring kind of quite classic IP like Pocoyo and looking to kind of bring it into the digital age and use cutting edge technology methods to produce it in more cost efficient ways. But yeah, in that conversation I had with him, he did say that he thought YouTube should be doing more and as it was doing between 2019 
and 2022 it put in $100 million, which is a drop in the ocean for Google, but it, it was a big deal for kids industry because that's, that's a lot of money in kids. So there aren't signs that they're going to do that anymore. It, that might change. But yeah, the, a lot of the kids producers I spoke to um, and fellow broadcasters um, were saying, yes, we, we want YouTube to, to invest in kids. What were some of the other stories that were running through MIP Junior, Carolina? Um, AI was a big topic, as to be expected. Um, there was a panel session dedicated to it which featured three panelists who were basically encouraging everybody to get on board with it and experiment with it. Um, it's here and there's nothing you can do about it was the, was the general feeling. Um, it's still controversial um, in, in TV in general, obviously. Um, I think it's particularly sensitive in, in kids since the uh, you know, children are the future generations. So yeah, still um, a lot of a lot of chatter about it. A lot of people excited by it. A lot of people terrified by it. Um, I think quite a few people in animation are are uh, are experimenting with it for development mostly, rather rather than production. Obviously, it's still early stages, but I think there's a lot more to to come in that area. Uh, there are a couple of couple of. Um, Keynotes. Uh, the first on the Saturday was with Ramsey Naito, who is the head of animation at Paramount and Nickelodeon. Um, the second keynote on this Sunday was with Victoria Lozano, who is leading Crayola's new production arm, Crayola, Crayola Studios, um, talking about her vision for the company and the idea of behind its its launch. It's quite interesting to see um, a. a, a quite a different player from the art supplies world branching into production. Particularly, I guess, given the, the Barbie phenomenon that we've seen this year as well and branded content, I guess the, the Crayola move into into children's programming sort of speaks to that a little bit, you know, brands getting more and more involved in content. Yes, it definitely does, and I, it's not a big surprise at all, to be honest, and I think we'll see more and more companies like that doing the same thing. Their argument is the fact that they are a creative company and that that goes hand in hand with, with production. I don't know how much production they're actually going to be doing themselves. They announced during the keynote that, they're, that they've agreed a multi-project deal with Nine Story Media in Canada. It seems that they'll be doing most of the production on projects and then Crayola Studios will be looking more at the, the licensing side of things. Interesting, yeah. I mean, they're associated or they're part of the Hallmark organisation, which had Hallmark channels and has a long media history as well. So, um, yeah, an interesting move from them. And, you know, overall, what was the, the, the sort of feeling, I guess, uh, at MIPCOM, you know, and the, the overall state of the market? I, I hear both where both Jordan and Nico are coming from. I definitely heard mixed opinions. Quite a bit of positivity among some people, a lot of negativity as well among others. Uh, from the kids' perspective, I definitely heard what Nico was saying about buyers not buying anything, producers struggling to sell their shows, and also the this, this sort of debate between original ideas and existing IP. Most people are admitting now that it's the known IP that's really in demand and that there seems to be a bit of a fear when taking into account all the, uh, the the tightened budgets among commissioners 
um, who are a bit afraid of taking risks with, with brand new ideas and want to stick to things that are familiar and known. So that was a big, a big topic that, that's come up throughout the week, definitely. That was something that you wanted to talk about, Neil, as well, I believe. Uh, known IP seems to be something that, you know, in a, a risk-adverse environment, everybody's gravitating towards that. You're absolutely right. I mean, just to expand on what Carolina and Nico have both been saying, everything I've heard at the market so far indicates that IP is more vital than ever if you want to get a project away. So it seems like original ideas, original content aren't just not on trend. They're actively discouraged now, which is kind of depressing. Banerjee, uh, I spoke to Banerjee UK boss Patrick Holland uh, on Monday. Um, that company has just seen Big Brother rebooted on ITV in the UK to great fanfare. Would a brand new format have attracted the same noise? Probably not. They're also about to bring back Survivor and Deal or No Deal. So, you know, these kind of evergreen heritage brands aren't, aren't going away. I was walking through Riviera today and I noticed that someone's even bringing back Fraggle Rock. So we're now, <laughs> we're now getting uh, IP rebooted in the, in the puppet uh, space. Maybe I'm going to uh, pitch a, a return of Roland Rat to ITV or something. Um, I was speaking with um, Bunnin Murray's uh, unscripted producer, Julie Pitsy, who's here with Buddy Games, an adaptation of a Josh Dumal feature film. She believes that having a known brand with an inbuilt audience makes it that much easier to get a show greenlit. Um, we also heard BBC Studios production CEO Ralph Lee um, telling delegates that commissioners need a hook of fam familiarity as they tighten budgets. On the other side of the d debate, where um, I heard I was in a panel session with Newen Studios CEO Romain Bessie, and he cautioned that the industry really needs to take risks and invest in the development of more original content to create the next generation of, of IPs. So it's a very divisive subject and it's certainly been a prevailing theme here at MIPCOM and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in the future. Some pretty big IP in the Spanish space, Pina, in terms of Zorro. Zorro is back and uh, that was one of the big launches this week as well from uh, Sequoia Studios and I think uh, working with, with Media One on the distribution side of things as well. So um, tell us a little bit about that. You were covering that and you, you spoke to the boss of Sequoia. Yes, actually Zorro was the, like the big lunch on Sunday. It opened uh, this MIPCOM and, and yes, it's a hugely anticipated uh, premium drama that they bringing back the iconic hero and yes they announced like Prime Video and the podcaster RTV from Spain had commissioned the show and Media One also announced some sales to France and Italy and Belgium and other European countries so that was definitely one of the um, Hispanic highlights of the market but also uh, well Neil was talking about um, risk aversion and 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 IPs well with track record and on Tuesday uh, Mad Entertainment the Turkish distributor there's a joint venture between the production companies Ayapim and Media Yapim announced that they are adapting Brazil Avenue I think it's the English title uh, one of the most successful global from Brazil um, telenovelas and it's actually the first international adaptation for a global uh, scripted series or yeah um, telenovela and actually I was uh, speaking with Angela Cola the head of international and they are like really wanted to open that as a new um, business strategy 
uh, they see that there's a lot of demand for um, IPs with track record and they they are for the first time uh, selling their 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 scripted um, formats uh, so I think that's like an interesting message for the for the international uh, buyers also interesting was uh, media pro boss Laura Fernandez Espeso she is obviously you know among the, the biggest movers and shakers in the business as far as Spanish language content is concerned she was here delivering a keynote but interestingly talking about taking the company into English language production Yes, I think that was the most interesting um, thing that came out of that keynote session. Uh, the well, she 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 outlined like a plan uh, for a ten-year plan uh, to to accelerate the speed of the growth in the U.S., particularly in the U.S., but also other English-speaking uh, markets. They want to invest more, or they are already investing more in development and in and expanding their teams. And they are, of course, as everyone else in the business, wanted to uh, make strategic alliances and co-productions and co-produce with, with channels, platforms, but also with creators and talent. So yes, that was, I think, the most, the most relevant thing that, that Media Bro Studio is, is doing now. Okay, well, thanks very much for that, Pina. Thanks, all of you. I'm just going to ask you all now, just for a for a final thought on, on MIPCOM 2023, your, your key takeaways, I guess, from, from this year's event. Neil? Yeah, I mean, speaking to some executives and also going into like the, the keynote sessions, I've heard a lot of um, executives talking about scaling up and they're all, you know, everyone's, they're all talking about their grand ambitions and everything, but it just, it's, talk is cheap. I've, you know, I've seen, everything that I've seen so far has been about being ultra cautious, a lack of commissioning, um, producers kind of depressed because they can't get projects away. So where's the evidence of all this scaling up? Um, I haven't seen much of it, to be honest. Pina? Um, definitely challenging times. Um, yes, more of the same. If everyone talks about risk, but no one is actually risking. So I think, yeah, I will, I will grab your uh, survive until 2025. That's, that's the general feeling, I guess. Jordan, what about you? Um, I think my main takeaway is that this really felt like the first MIPCOM, probably the first market where um, the kind of full scale return to third party licensing from the US majors has kind of really, really felt like it, it's a big thing again. Like we were seeing it a bit with the LA screenings earlier this year when say Amazon, MGM launched their combined um, combined kind of distribution offering where they're set starting to sell Amazon originals. But now I think being on the ground in MIPCOM, it feels like, you know, the Disney's Warner Brothers Discovery, Paramount are, are kind of, you know, jumping back fully uh, into the picture. Um, I do think just w one other point um, will be, and I kind of want to, um, some of the optimism that I might have expressed earlier on, I think I need to kind of temper it by saying, I think there's more optimism on the distribution side, because I think that the opportunities for selling finished content is, it feels like it's quite high right now. Um, and that is obviously juxtaposed with the fact that on the kind of originals front, um, everything is, is, is definitely not good. Um, I think when the strike eventually ends, what the post-strike commissioning picture looks like is going to be interesting. Like, there's a lot of shows that were were commissioned um, pre-strike that aren't going to either commissioned fully for um, production or kind of put into formal development. I think a lot of those shows are coming back to the production companies now because the streamers are cutting costs and also they're completely changing their commissioning strategies to focus slightly more on like soapier, fair, um, you know 
uh, and content that can be made at a more reasonable price point. So I, I think in January we'll start to get a, a clearer sense of what the post-strike commissioning picture looks like, but it'll be very different than today. Carolina. Um, yeah, I, I, I would probably echo what some of my colleagues have said. Um, it's, it's been an interesting week and, and it will be interesting to see how the rest of the year progresses and, and what we're talking about when, when MIPTV rolls around in April, whether there is still as much negativity and sort of um, pessimism um, and also, crucially, AI, where we will be with that and uh, what the, the key developments will be if we will be seeing more shows being made with it and what that will mean at a time when, you know, there, there, there do seem to be these lack of commissions and lack of originals getting green lights. Nico. Uh, my key takeaway was from Mr. Pizza on uh, Tuesday night. That was, that was good. But other than that, we did a news story about a BBC Children's Commission uh, this week called Mojo's uh, Swap Tops. And I ran it through our uh, website. Um, and we first wrote about that show in 2003. So that must be some sort of record. And I don't know if it's depressing or inspiring for a producer here who's probably, you know, struggled to get a show off the ground. But, you know, maybe in 20 years... Uh, we'll be writing about their, their new show on a broadcaster or streamer com coming to you soon. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Nico. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Carolina, Pina and Neil. Nadav Palti, Chief Executive and President of Dory Media Group and a former Israel Defence Forces commander, spoke with me about how he made it to Cannes despite events back home and his determination to continue doing business even though family and friends are caught up in the war and production in the country is on hiatus. Nadav Palti, I'm the CEO of Dory Media, Israeli headquarters but international a global company with people from Argentina, Buenos Aires, from Switzerland, from Madrid and from Singapore, that a big delegation that is here in, in MIP. You say a big delegation, but obviously given events happening um, in the Middle East, back in Israel and, and, and Palestine, a big Israeli delegation cancelled coming to, to MIPCOM this time round. Uh, how did you manage to, to make the trip? Okay, also uh, four or five people from Dory Media from Israel didn't come because, yes, it's a very sensitive and sad and tough situation. Uh, I came with a direct flight with El Al. All the airline, all the foreign airlines company cancels are not flying. They cannot fly because they don't have insurance. Actually, when everything started, all the insurance company cancels. So. Only the Israeli company is flying, like El Al mainly, but also Israel, Israel and uh, Arkia. So I took a direct flight from uh, Tel Aviv to here. I postponed in uh, one day and I'm going back, so I want to make it as uh, short as possible to be back in Israel. Uh, but you know, because, um, first of all, as I told you, we are an international and global company, and uh, our employees from all around the world is coming. Uh, so I have to be there, I have to lead the company and also give them confidence because they are very worried and concerned also. Uh, so it's okay that other people from Israel didn't come and other people from our company did not come. But I think for us, if we will let them 
dictate our life. And if we are not calm and not continue our business or our personal or professional life, they win. And we will not let them win. And let them win is part, it's also part of the life, of the regular life, of the civilian life, business life, economy life, not only on the battlefield. On the battlefield, we will prevail. We don't have any choice. We don't have any other country. We don't have any other place to go. So, you know, Golda Meir in the Yom Kippur War, she was a prime minister of Israel in Yom Kippur War. And Mr. Henry Kissinger, the Secretary of State, came to Israel to visit, like now Biden and, and Blinken come, so, and we are, thank them a lot, all the help, all the help that the U.S. Is, uh, give to Israel. And then he asked Golda Meir, how you manage, and what's happened? It's, it's, a, it's a terrible situation. They surprised you, and your intelligence failed. And she says, she answered, Henry, we have a secret weapon. And he started to scare, what is a secret weapon? She said, we don't have any other place to go. This is our secret weapon. And this is why we will prevail. It's the Israeli spirit. It's the Israeli, Israeli culture. And we'll get units. We were not so unit before, unfortunately, in the last 10 months. But it's in a one second. Everybody forgot it. All the Israeli public and the people their unit now, volunteer, each one of the Israeli one has a or son or daughter in the army or son or daughter that hurt or his neighbors or his cousins. So everybody is in it. Everybody help. And you know, this kind of volunteers and, and spirit is amazing. And uh, this is uh, how we are continuing. Now, our office in Tel Aviv is still open. We continue to work. Uh, of course, it's not easy. And... People can work from home. People, if they want, they can work from home. And we continue to function because we don't have any other place. We have channels that work 24-7, continue to work. It's not a news channel or something. It's, you know, a niche entertainment uh, drama channel. So continue to work. We have to make sure that everything is continued to be on air and work and broadcast. And also we continue to produce, not shooting right now, but, you know, we are doing the... We are doing a, a pre-production, we are doing a post-production, editing, depends. We have a lot of, like more than 12 different dramas that we are working on. So we are doing post-production, we are doing a development, we are doing editing, we are doing pre-production. We cannot shoot right now in Israel uh, because of the situation, but so maybe we'll postpone a bit the shooting. We have shooting planning to be at the end of this year, beginning of next year, two big dramas. So maybe we have to postpone a bit. We're taking a decision, you know, on a current day-to-day or week-by-week uh, uh, decision. Uh, but all the rest, we just finished shooting in Mexico. We just finished shooting Uruguay and Argentina. So this we can do the post-production and everything. Now, you know, in Israel, it's not easy to work because you have to be uh, close by to shelter. You have alarm all the time. Even here, I got all the time in my phone alarm because it's uh, every Israeli has his own phone. If you are close to the border, in 15 seconds, you have to go into a shelter. If you are a little bit far, you can go in 30 seconds or 60 seconds. In the area of Tel Aviv, it should be between 60 to 90 seconds. So... In the office, if you have shelter, you can continue to work from office, according to the government. 
this is how we are working. So you can work from home, we continue to work, or from the office. Fortunately, or not fortunately, but during the coronavirus and the pandemic, we educated ourselves and we exercised how to work from home, how to work from And now we are very efficient on this. So a lot of our employees anywhere can work from home. So we continue now because we are global, because we have production all around the world. So we continue with our operation in Mexico and in, in Uruguay or Argentina. So we continue to work to edit there and to, to do the post-production. So partially is doing there, partially is doing Israel. So this is how we sadly and, and uh, unfortunately how we have to function tragic events that we're, we're seeing unfolding and uh, you know our sympathies with all of the Israelis affected and uh, the innocent Palestinians as, as well but um, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering you know on a personal level as well you know ha have you been affected directly in any way friends and family by the uh, the war that's taking place right now and, and I'm guessing sort of within your your company and, and, and across the industry I mean people are being called up to, to fight again, aren't they, as well? I mean, it's uh, the, the, the spread of this situation is, is uh, only growing, unfortunately, it seems. Yes, I know, uh, I know people, of course. Israel is a very small country. And, uh, everybody knows everybody. And, uh, of course, uh, people from our office and son or daughter from employees that go, go to the army, also my son, is now in uh, Gaza, nearby Gaza, and he's in the reserve, but unfortunately I believe that if we get into Gaza, he will get into Gaza also to fight. And yes, we know Israeli, we know other people. Let's not delve too much into this, which, because um, it's, it's obviously a very emotive subject and there are um, all sorts of feelings on, on all sides, and uh, we are primarily here to talk about TV. It's impossible to... Uh, dissociate ourselves from from what's going on and, and particularly given your your personal connection to it but um, yeah it, it, it's kind of hard to see how the situation is going to uh, to have any kind of uh, positive kind of uh, resolution and the ramifications of that for business for society for the world are very, very significant. I mean, as, a, as a former commander, how do you see this this being resolved? It's an age-old question which no one seems to have answered. What's your take on that? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I don't know and I can even don't uh, speak about it. But if we allow me, I want to speak about on, on, the, on the business side. So we came to MIPCOM with around one of our biggest sled ever, around 12 different uh, dozen, uh, dozen, 12 different drama that we, for example, AMIA that we produce in Uruguay and Argentina, it's taking place between 92 and 94, the bombing of the Israeli embassy and the bombing of the AMIA buildings, the Jewish community in Argentina. And it's a story that we invent and create we just finished to be inspired by this occasion. Uh, eight episodes, 45 minutes. Uh, we show here the trailer and the presentation. We're going to have the episode in a few months and we want to sell it worldwide. Also, Indal is an action uh, drama series that we shoot in Israel for hot. 
uh, on uh, Ethiopian Jewish communities that came from Ethiopia and live in uh, Ashdod in the town south in Israel that right now, by the way, got a lot of miceers every day on, on Ashdod. And this is a great action uh, story. And also not, also not only action stories about the society, about the conflict that this community have with the police, with the other Israelis. And I think it's it's great show. It's also great actors. All of them is, uh, most of them is from the Ethiopian community. They're very nice, they're beautiful, they play great. So this is the second one. We have uh, La Lola remake of La Lola. La Lola we did in 2007, like 16 years ago in Argentina, 150 episodes, and now we make a remake, 20 episodes for VIX. VIX is a, a Televisa and Univision uh, platform, new platform, the biggest, biggest actually Spanish platform in the world. So we just finished to shoot it in Mexico and we are doing now pre-production. Uh, we have also Quince um, Alaora, it's a 15 per hour. It's a Paramount production that uh, did the um, uh, adaptation of Israeli uh, series that we, we sold it to Paramount. It's called in Israel uh, minimum wage or 13 shekel per hour. And they called it Quince uh, Alaora in Spanish or 15 per hour. They did a remake and actually happened in Los Angeles of three ladies that come, one from Colombia, one from Mexico. Uh, cleaning ladies that come, uh, kind of invisible, transparent people. And after they, they produce it, they, we are selling it worldwide, the Paramount production. We have also, you know, Losing Alice uh, that we sold to Apple. Now we have a new Windows, Ostisel that we did and sold to Netflix. Now we have a new um, Windows that we are selling worldwide. Nechama is a new Israeli 10 episode uh, show, great show about uh, a guy, a husband that his wife killed, ex you know, in a in car accident, very surprisingly, of course. And he is uh, five, six, five or six kids that he didn't know and he didn't care. Now we have to manage and uh, function. In parallel, he's going to change his uh, professional life and he's going to be comedian or, you know, like things that he didn't do and, 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 and always dreamed to do. Uh, and, and we have some non-scripted, like Power Couple or Best of All or, or Smartface, a lot of very great uh, formats that work very well all around the world. Hamam, uh, it's a new show that we just finished to shoot six episodes for Khan 11, is an Israeli broadcaster. We'll go on air, plan to go on air in the first uh, quarter next year. I don't know, maybe they postponed it now because of what's happening in Israel. So we are sending it. It's a new, brand new six episode uh, story about abandoned bases that the unit, Israeli unit, came to this. And a lot of things, weird things happen there, but it's also based or inspired by the biblical story about King David and Shaul and etc. Saul. Uh, also, uh, Berlin Blues, it's a, we, we did a show, six episodes for Yes, produce it. Uh, most of the shooting was in Berlin and, and uh, Budapest, like Berlin. Uh, we did it uh, with uh, Fermental Media. Fermental Media is now selling it, but it's our production also. We have uh, uh, other great shows that continue to, to be in the market and uh, 7,500 episodes.
in our uh, catalog 150 different uh, show uh, so we are selling it here it's uh, I think it's coming back uh, after uh, the pandemic the similar a bit maybe less six to ten percent less than um, 19 uh, 2019 the last mipcom before the pandemic and the business is, uh, is good a lot of meeting very hectic hopefully we'll close a lot of deal if the present situation continues which it looks like it will do um, for some time I mean you're in terms of the you know production as you were saying it's an on hiatus at the minute, not just at your company, but um, across Israel, I'm imagining that the country has such a, a rich heritage in terms of um, the dramas that it's exported around the world, the formats that it's uh, exported as well. So, um, you know, how big a kind of impact is that going to have on, on that pipeline of programming? Or is it the case that as you say, because you operate internationally, you're, you're just going to have to do more things overseas. We'll do overseas, but also uh, it's impacting the short term on, on shooting production, but not on, for example, we just finished few and we are editing uh, one for uh, Khan 11, 24 episodes for the Chinuchit, it's called, it's a, for a young audience, for teens of the public with 24 episodes we did called Mekif Milano and we finished to shoot so and we are now editing and um, and post-production it will go on air I believe in uh, December Hanukkah is a holiday um, other like Inda Loamia we continue the post-production the editing and also pre-production of things that we have to start to shoot end of this year beginning of next year and also a lot of development so Yes, it will influence on the shooting now, not for long term, even not for mid term. I believe short term, maybe we will postpone here and there two weeks, three weeks, four weeks the shooting. So, but let's see. We have to take a decision on a current basis uh, because involved in a, in a production involve like two or three hundred people, actors, creators, all the people. So we have to take the emotional side of the people to analyze it, to be very sensitive and to make sure that uh, people will function. I don't think that for this will influence, of course, in the short term. But mid-term and long-term, this will not influence. UK-based distributor Abacus Media Rights is part of Canadian-listed Amcomry Entertainment, and counts among its MIPCOM slate Russian dissident documentary The Price of Truth, Australian crime drama Scrublands and biopic The Life and Deaths of Christopher Lee. Will Stapley was named Head of Acquisitions across Scripted and Unscripted a year ago and spoke to me in Cannes about the present state of the marketplace, the perfect storm he sees facing both producers and distributors and how the companies try to find ways of navigating this. My name is Will Stapley. I head up the acquisitions uh, at Abacus Media Rights. We're an Amcomry entertainment company, um, and uh, my job is to source, um, help develop, um, help finance TV shows, both scripted and un unscripted. Um, we also do feature docs. We don't do feature films, um, but I'm here in Cannes 
to update producers that we already work with on how well their shows are doing, to hear about new projects, uh, and to help the sales team pitch some projects that we are uh, selling completed or looking for financing on. Give us your take on the temperature of the marketplace. Uh, about 25 degrees right now. Um, it's it's you know it's been a difficult 2023 uh, for everyone. Um, we have managed to hit our sales targets for the uh, year so far. In fact, go slightly over, which is really positive. And I think we're doing that by um, getting involved early, by getting involved with pre-sales, helping finance gap finance shows uh, of real quality that are must-have, not nice to have. Um, and that's how we've 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 had a, a good year so far. I think in general, you know, on the production side, it's it's been really really tough. Um, we've seen lots of our indie partners have a a very slow year, um, a difficult, challenging year, and we're trying to help as much as we can. Um, but you know, because uh, budgets are dropping, buyers are being more cautious. Um, we've had to be cautious in turn, uh, and risk taking from our side has. Has, has to be really calculated. As much as we'd love to, to help every producer, we, we've just had to step back and, you know, in, in a way, be a bit reactive to the turmoil of this year, whilst trying to be proactive in, in other areas and, and, and come up with you know, um, ways that we can collaborate more, do more co-productions, um, be more editorially involved to help, help come up with ideas that uh, don't need commissions, but can be pieced together with jigsaw financing. Um, so it's been, you know, exciting in that regard, but it has, we can't avoid the fact that it's been difficult for, for so many of us. What have been the biggest factors contributing to that turmoil, as you describe it, you know, as far as producers are concerned and, and your business? Um, I think it's a bit of a perfect storm. Um, you know, the cost of living crisis, meaning that people are choosing what to subscribe to, um, not having more than two services, SVODs, um, maybe cutting cable. Um, ad revenue uh, dropping, uh, budgets therefore being affected, uh, right to strike. I mean, there's a whole perfect storm that's happened this year. Um, and, you know, it, it, it trickles down. Uh, we are lucky that we have a, a very strong library and that we are a distributor in a, in a world that, um, you know, it has affected us, but maybe not so much as other areas in the industry. Um, but yes, it, it does feel like this year has been an annus horribilis for, for so many. And, and one producer said to me recently, it's the worst he's seen it in 20 to 25 years. Um, and, you know, we have to be reactive to that and we have to um, find ways to, to you know, generate shows, generate work, generate money for everyone. Um, as a distributor, we have that responsibility to, to try and help, but we can't bear the burden entirely. Um, so it's also down to the broadcasters to support their indies. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of conflict this year around that ideology. So here's, here's, here's to a much rosier 2024. But it's been um, a busy MIPCOM 2023 for you. I mean, there's a lot of producers here still, you're, you're saying. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it feels positive. It feels, um, it feels like people are looking forward to budgets being replenished. <laughs> so many ideas, so many great ideas being pitched. Um, to us that we're also going to uh, market with um, and to commissioners with. Uh, there's no shortage of great ideas. It's just working out, you know, how many of them realistically will find the funding they need, and whether some of them can can lower budget expectations uh, to then allow maybe acquisitions. You know, 
elevated acquisitions from broadcasters, streamers, um, something that we're doing a lot where we don't necessarily have to wait for an anchor broadcaster to commission at the usual level. If the budget can be dropped without the quality suffering too much, then we can go out to market, find a, a half a dozen uh, meaningful pre-sales and put maybe some of our own investment in. And then we have a series that you know is proof of concept and might return as a commission, um, a more traditional commission for season two, season three. Um, but no, we, we're trying to stay positive and um, there's a lot to look forward to. We've got an amazing brochure catalogue that we've come to market with, the standard bursting at the seams. Um, and we're really proud of, of what we've put together for them from the last six to 12 months that's selling here in Cannes. So what are the sorts of things or the kinds of areas, I suppose, that have caught your eye as a buyer, as a, you know, in terms of, of the distribution side? What are the sorts of projects you do kind of feel that the market is looking for? Um, well, it is, it is a fickle market. <laughs> and I think on the drama side, the package has become almost more important than the creative this year. So the IP, uh, you know, is this a novel that's a bestseller in various territories? The cast, who is going to be um, the key seller uh, for this show, that has been uh, more important than, than in recent years, I think, um, because of the caution. Um, and you know, who's the writer? Who's the director? Uh, has the production company worked with this streamer, this broadcaster before? Is that a way in? Um, you know, we, we, we are a broad church and pretty agnostic in terms of uh, the, the programming that we look for, but um, where there is cast, where there is IP, where there is a well-known writer, in drama especially, this, this opens doors. Um, without all of that, I would say our, our kind of go-to would be looking for, in drama, uh, six-hour um, psychological thrillers or crime procedurals. Um, but you know, you come to me with an A-list talent, uh, and you can bring me uh, a uh, you know six-half-hour horror series or comedy. Um, but yeah, in, in this fickle environment, cast, cast, cast. On unscripted, um, you know, we we do have a lot of crime. We're not a crime, true crime distributor. It just so happens that crime sells, as everyone knows. Um, and in unscripted, we really try and. Uh, acquire a broad range of, of genres, uh, one-offs, series. Um, history has been a really important genre for us uh, over the last couple of years. Um, epic docudrama series have done really well, six-parters. Um, we are working a lot in the world affairs space because the world is a terrible place right now and there is so much to talk about. Um, so, you know, we've been helping finance some really meaningful, powerful, brave documentaries um, uh, about the Ukraine-Russia uh, war um, from both sides of, of the table. Um, and we've been also looking at uh, access stories to well-known celebrities, Kanye West, Andrew Tate, Boris Becker. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we, we always look for that access. Why is this a unique story in the market? Why is it being told now is a crucial question that needs to be answered. Um, and then from there, if we, we like uh, the show, we think it stands out, then we can go out, look at your finance plan. We can um, assess opportunities. And more often than not, we are raising good chunks of budgets for those types of must-have 
um, topical, broadly relevant, um, internationally relevant, unscripted shows. You talked about acquisitions, and you know the fact that um, you know you do finance and distributors have been doing that for a number of years, increasingly putting in the money, you know, making up the budget before taking programs out to to market. But you also talked about caution as well, and that that's necessary for your business. So. How do you kind of square that circle, as it were, at the moment, I suppose? Yeah. <laughs> um, good question. I would say that we get pitched a lot, and we are very selective in what we take on in terms of uh, projects that we we believe will uh, have, have a budget. A budget that is a starting point, at a starting point, is realistic. Um, and then we would... Uh, talk to the sales team internally and we would think about where um, where we might go to first and then we would ask the producer's permission to do so but it's it's really about the starting budget um, and then what rights and territories are available the US is such an important market still despite it being a challenging time for that that, that territory um, the genre is, is all important um, whether it's been done before you know there are so many shows out there that are quite similar so what access do you have is anyone else making this story um you know who's front of screen who's behind screen um all the usps that, that we would need to know about in order to say yeah you know what we can do something with this we can help you and then depending on the, the gap level after we've maybe done one or two pre-sales we we often can close that with our own financing with our distribution advances um but you know, we're, you know, we're seeing opportunities in all of this madness um, and you know, you, you, we're taking, taking risks that are calculated but I would say 99% of them have, have paid off this calendar year so uh, you can't win everything um, but we, yeah, we will sniff out the, the most unique standout shows and if it works from a commercial point of view then we will go hell for leather for our producers and see if we can make it happen. As an independent distributor, how have the broader kind of industry changes that have been going on affected you? If, if at all, I'm thinking of the way in which the, uh, the US studios with their streamers were withholding rights to all their own shows for, for their own services, and uh, that had a knock-on effect for the market. They're now returning to licensing as they focus more on the bottom line, and the streamers, standalone streamers, are kind of being more flexible, it seems, in terms of rights and some... Amazon, namely, of actually going into sort of licensing their own originals as well. There's tremendous change going on in, in, in the sales business and people having talked about the death of distribution for some yeah. time are kind of talking about some sort of a, a rebirth. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, when these very nice shows become available, then it's competition in the market, um, which is no bad thing. Um, uh, but we, you know, we we also see opportunity there because it means that there is maybe more flexibility across the board um, with streamers not having to take everything forever across the whole universe. Um, and we are doing deals that uh, you know are, that play to that actually. Um, uh, you know, thinking about some of the streamers we've been putting together um, packages with the likes of Amazon, um, where. Uh, they are coming to us and, and we're putting deals together around crime at, at the moment um, 
packages of you know, eight, eight to ten hours of, of shows that aren't commissioned but are you know, in that acquisition space um, that you know, could be called um, originals but are essentially uh, elevated acquisitions um, just for one territory and then we will go out and, and sell uh, those shows everywhere. It doesn't have to just to be to that streamer, to Amazon, it can be to anyone. Um, we're doing local for local deals with Netflix just for UK where you know the whole banks expire on Channel 5 shows and we're selling the rights um, to, to Netflix UK for a short period of time and, and those are rating really, really well. So I think there is a, a focus from these bigger companies now to look at those huge global commissions that are going to bring in audiences from across the world, but also focusing on your local audience and thinking, okay, how can we make our service feel more, almost more like a public broadcaster in a way, more attuned to an ordinary person living in, in this country, um, but stories that are uh, specific to people in this country. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's the scale, it's high end and it's low end, and it's the middle area, the kind of the mid-programming, mid-budget type of programming that is that we've seen a real squeeze on and that's maybe harder to fund um, uh, and harder to, to commit to early. But I think in general the market is is becoming, uh, it's been bloated for a while and I think, you know, people need to focus on, on what works for them locally as well as globally. Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's certainly provided opportunity this year for us. Melanie Romani is Head of Acquisitions for BBC Studios and UK TV, the UK public broadcaster's commercial channels business, which runs a portfolio of some 40 networks internationally. As well as buying for UK TV channels like Dave, Alibi, Drama and Yesterday, Romani's team also acquires for VOD platform UK TV Play and BBC branded channels outside the UK like BBC First, BBC Lifestyle and BBC Earth. The exec was in Cannes this week and spoke with Karolina Kaminska about the kinds of programmes she's looking for, including soft crime, premium drama, travel-related reality and cooking shows. We're here in Cannes. Yeah. What are your plans while at MIT? Well, lots of meetings. So my team own the relationships with the suppliers. So we've got four uh, buyers, acquisitions managers here, meeting with the many suppliers we work with. So from all of the key big indies through to US studios, smaller indies as well as um, producers. So I will pop along to various meetings based on whether they want me there or whether um, it's a relationship that I might have already had. So just catching up with people that I haven't seen in a long time. A lot of intel gathering as well for me in my position, just talking to people in the industry about what's going on. I mean, we all know there's a lot going on at the moment. So just finding out how things are for other people and how they're find, finding the market, the kind of impact that the strikes are having on both distributors, producers, broadcasters. You know, we're all experiencing it in different ways, I think, having different impacts on us. It's just really interesting talking to everyone about how they're finding things. You find out a lot and you learn a lot. And um, I'm always learning every day as well. So I find it a really good market to come to for that. So ultimately, at the end of the day, we're here looking for great content. And we've got such a broad remit. But essentially, my team 
of, there's 14 of us, so we've got four buyers who deal with all of most distributors and then another buyer that deals with smaller indies. But there's essentially five people buying for a global footprint of about almost 40 different services. It's got all the UK TV channels plus uh, BBC branded channels outside of the UK. So when we come to the market, our, our remit is massive. So we're looking from premium drama through lifestyle content, factual content, entertainment content, preschool. Like we're looking for so much content when we're here. So that makes the, the meetings really interesting as well because we can, when we're sitting in a meeting, we need to put our different hats on. <laughs> what is each territory looking for? Mm-hmm. And there is so much great content. So, yeah, ultimately that's what we're here for. So you, you mentioned there about the mood and, you know, relating to the, the impact of the strikes and yeah, so on. So yeah. what's the general kind of feeling that you're that Yeah, you're I've just, it's just, like, I've just got here. So it'll be interesting to see what, my takeaway is at the end of the market. For for us at UK TV and BBC Studios, we haven't felt a big impact yet because we are quite lucky in that our remit is so broad. There's still a lot of library content out there available for us, for example, for Play, where we're doing um, quite a few deals with the US Studios and, and catalogue library content, which is still performing well for us on Play. For example, we've just picked up Mad Men and Manhattan from Lionsgate and... Um, various other deals we've done over the past year or two. So that hasn't had an impact on us. Obviously, outside of the UK, we're very much UK, British content focused. So we don't really have a need for US content outside of the UK. So it hasn't really impacted us yet. And I'm not so sure it's impacted anyone yet. I think next year will be when we really see the, the impact of it and what that might do to the wider market and what that might do to competition for non-US content to fill slots and things. Mm. So it's just something I think that's constantly moving. But yeah, I have no no sense just yet, but it'll be interesting to see at the end of the market what, yeah, yeah. how people are feeling. And is there anything specific that you're looking for then while you're here? Yes, lots. <laughs> always looking for good drama, premium drama, so always keeping a track of that. We're in a we're a very in a very unique position because we're such a broad remit and such a broad range of territories and channels that we're buying for we are able to do some quite creative deal making to get shows produced so basically Miss Scarlet and the Duke for example is a show that we came in on for Benelux, Africa and UK all together and you know that contributes to quite a bit of the budget to be able to get the show made along with um, obviously Masterpiece, PBS Um, and so we're you know there are there are dramas that might not be fully financed that we're talking about that we can come on board so that kind of thing is really interesting particularly in the space that works really well for us so that soft cozy crime which um, really does work very well for us in the UK and on our BBC First Channel globally that's the kind of content we're always looking for we can't just rely on the pipeline of what's coming through from the UK for that so we're always that's quite high on the list looking for those kind of content and those kind of deals that we can do um, just general premium drama anyway, um, always on the lookout for that. But also outside of the drama space, in terms of factual, always on the lookout for kind of for hosted travel adventure type series. We've got a show that's very successful on BBC Earth and UK TV called World's Most Dangerous Roads, that kind of thing, kind of adventure, which has got great characters and personalities in it. Um, I just heard a term this morning, actually, 
uh, travel reality is a big thing at the moment. Mm. So this is a big trend we're seeing in this market. So there's a lot of reality shows dropping people into crazy locations to battle for money and race across the world. And there's a few of those kind of shows. So any kind of adventure, reality, travel, we're on the lookout for. We're, for our BBC Earth channel, we're always looking for accessible science content. That does really well for us. Those are kind of the, the main ones. But if I shared my shopping list with you, you'd see that it's massive. There's a lot of content that we're looking for. For each channel, we're looking for something different. So the, the shopping list and our wish list is really broad. But in terms of the things that resonate globally, soft crime, mm-hmm. premium drama, travel, reality, factual entertainment broadly. For our W channel here in the UK, we're on the lookout for factual reality for 8, 9, 10 o'clock. And that's life unfiltered is the W kind of tagline. And that's um, kind of warm, inclusive fact in, but also things like MasterChef Australia do really well for us. So it's, it's finding shows that would work well with with those shows as well. So travel reality, are there any other trends that you're seeing with with genres that are particularly in demand at the moment? Uh, Drama, always in demand. Travel reality seems to be a big one. I think we're seeing a lot of kind of home design show, home design formats, although it feels like that might be coming, it might be a bit saturated now. But again, it'll be quite interesting to see towards the end of the market what the things that keep popping up are. But we're also getting a lot think in the UK a lot more stories that really resonate locally with a very specific local audience but the the topics that they're covering are quite global as well I think those kind of shows are working really well mm-hmm. seeing more of that coming out of the UK for sure I mean reality formats you know Survivor, Big Brother everything seems to be cyclical at the moment with that too mm-hmm. those are kind of the broad ones at the moment but again it'll be interesting to see at the end of the market mm-hmm. Is there anything that you're definitely not looking for that maybe you've either got enough of or just doesn't really work anymore? Yeah. So natural history content, we get a lot of that from our own supply through the BBC Studios catalogue, obviously, that we've got great natural history in the catalogue. So we do tend to pass on a lot of that content, unless it's really locally relevant. Maybe in Africa, it might be an African story that's um, quite locally relevant, so we might consider it. But generally, we won't pick up natural history. Foreign language drama is something that we've kind of dipped our toes into a little bit. It's quite tricky for us, particularly in the UK. So that we we sit, we do look at it. Like we don't pass on foreign language, but it is quite tricky for us. So um, that's further down the list. But broadly, you know, we're quite open to anything. There are shows and genres that we are quite keen to see a lot more of, and that is things like accessible kind of engineering content and we'd really love some cooking shows some chop and chat <laughs> we just they seem to have fallen out of favor particularly in the uk broadcasters we would love to see more of that kind of high quality because they work well for us on our bbc lifestyle channels and what period are you are you acquiring commissioning for at the moment acquiring for from today until the future <laughs> so we we do try and um because we are trying to build as many global deals as we can so incorporating not necessarily the same show although we do try and do that where we can across multiple territories but you know it it works for us and for particularly our key suppliers to try and build as a bigger package as possible as we can across territories so that means we do work quite a bit further ahead so we are buying really we're buying now for 24 25 for next year 
So can, can you maybe talk about some of the recent acquisitions that you've made? Yeah, and sure. Pick up some highlights. So there's lots. <laughs> we recently did a deal with um, AMC for a great package of um, Acorn titles. So we bought uh, Mrs. Sid Who Investigates, which just went out on UK, uh, started at the beginning of the month. That's doing well. So that's um, a really unique, quite interesting deal that we did with AMC to share windows with Acorn. So we're up for that kind of deal for looking at ways that we can share windowing and share exclusivity. So I think that that worked really well for both of us. So we've launched Mrs. Sid Who and then Acorn will get another We've picked up second window on a number of other shows of theirs, which we think will do well for us as well. Um, you know, and on a different platform and free, being on drama and UK TV play. A um, couple of shows for Alibi as well, and we also picked up some shows for Benelux. So those were really good. I already mentioned the Lionsgate deal. We did we did Mad Men and Manhattan, and another title in there as well. Um, so that's a really good deal. We're um, recently concluded a, a really large package with Banerjee, all three media. You know, we've got some really good, really good titles and acquisitions coming through. Um, and are there any other developments at the company that... Um, well, we launched four fast channels in the last month or so. Um, be interesting to see how those do. Um, there's a team looking after that. So my team doesn't buy for the fast channels, the team looking for that. Um, you know, UK TV Play has grown by two-thirds, I think, in the last year. You know, it's becoming really successful. You know, my team and what we do is very instrumental in that as well. You know, the content that we're acquiring for that specifically is is doing really well, and that's been a massive addition to our remit is buying content for play, and what we've bought is working well, so that's really great. Um, I mean, there's always things bubbling away. UKTV is a very ambitious company, and Marcus is very ambitious and you know, is not afraid to invest where needed. And I think that's, I feel like we're in a really good position at the moment in that we've only got more work on, not less, you know, which I think is great. It feels like we're in quite a new, unique position at the moment with that, just more, more investment and really switching to VOD and streaming slowly, but we're getting there. You know, it's a, it's a difficult balance to strike, but, you know, I think we're doing a really good job with it at the moment. So as streaming becomes more more important, um, when, when you're acquiring, are you still acquiring for a specific channel in mind, or are you sometimes thinking, well, this can sit on UK TV Play, yeah. and then we might put it on a channel? It's a really good question, because that is definitely how things are moving now. We're not just buying for a channel. You know, and I've always I've always believed this, it's it, content first. You know, it's, is it a really good piece of, is it a really good show? And if it is a really good show, where do we think the audience is going to f- want to find it? Um, so it very much needs to start with the show and then where, exactly, where is it best to sit? And that's a conversation that we're having every minute of every day with the programming teams and with UKTV Play. And that is definitely the shift in mindset where, where we're getting to. And that's the conversation we're having with suppliers as we go along as well, is what kind of rights do we need and how is that changing? And everyone's experiencing that. What should we be buying? What kind of rights should we be buying? What are we okay to go exclusive on or not exclusive on? Do we need holdbacks? Do we not need holdbacks? And it really, it, it's it's very clearly come down to, okay, it really does come down to the show and, what, and, and the actual show and what we want the show to do for us, whether we go non-exclusive, whether we're happy to, who we can go non-exclusive against. But it's just evolving daily. <laughs> Melanie Romani speaking with Karolina Kaminska 
that's all for this episode. Okay, we didn't have Margot Robbie, Ryan Reynolds, Cillian Murphy and Christopher Nolan, but we hope you've enjoyed this special double bill anyway. There were even more interviews from MIPCOM that we weren't able to squeeze in this week, so tune in to our C21 FM internet radio station from Monday to hear some of those, and these will of course feature in the podcast when it returns next Friday. In the meantime, visit our website for a full roundup of all the news from Cannes and elsewhere, and stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. 